Hello and welcome to Tea and Heresy. This is a podcast on history, magic, the occult, spirituality, literature, art, and the occasional socio-political rant. My name is Cassie. I hold a Bachelor of Arts and Honours degree in history, and I'm so grateful that you're sharing your presence with me today. I invite you to make yourself a cup of tea or coffee or stop in somewhere for a takeaway as we're about to dive into some juicy discussions. Welcome back to another episode of Tea and Heresy. My gosh, it has been a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, If you follow me over on Instagram, you'll know the astrology has been a little bit chaotic. A lot of deep transformation has been happening and a lot of shadow stuff coming up to the surface as it always tends to do, (laughs) Uh, especially leading up to eclipse season, which is just on the horizon. So thank you for your patience for this coming episode. It has been something that I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time, but I guess I just haven't been able to put it into words and articulate it in the best possible way and so it has taken a little while to kind of formulate it and whether or not particular things that I'm going to say in this episode is uh, too controversial but look it is called teen heresy for a reason so I encourage you to sit with the uncomfortability uh, as I'm going to suggest throughout the episode and reiterate throughout the episode sit with the uncomfortability because i don't think many of us are used to that we're used to things being hated for us we're used to getting all of the all of the affirmations all of the yes I agree yes I agree yes you're so right and none of the actually I don't agree with this actually have you thought about this perspective and actually holding that in your nervous system as opposed to shutting someone down and this can be seen so apparently on social media even by just like stonewalling and blocking people and only following those that you know fit to a certain uh, mold and that you know we agree with or that agree with us and removing people that disagree with us or not following people that kind of challenge your opinions so we are very much sheltered um, and this episode is basically putting all of that to rest and just saying look we need to look at things in their context we need to challenge thoughts we need to challenge our own thoughts and our own beliefs and also others and that it's okay to challenge opinions and challenge thoughts and debate and just simply discuss about topics because we're really lacking that in this day and age and I've got an example that I'm going to be making reference to shortly that is very clear (laughs) it's very clearly depicted in this example Um, there's just examples left right and center that I'm going to be discussing both in historical context and literature context just to give a like an overview I guess of how how this works and what you can get from it and and it might just help different people to understand it in a different way so that being said this episode is all about context and research and I'm going to have another episode dedicated on how to research because I also understand that 
not many people have had the privilege that I've had of either finishing school and or even just going into university itself. Um, and it's been something that we've, it's a skill that we've been taught. And if you haven't had the privilege of being taught that, then how are you supposed to know, right? And so that's what I would like to use my platform for is just to share tools that I've learnt in hopefully an easy and accessible way and that makes sense so then you can think critically for yourself and and know the type of information that you're looking at and know how to effectively research and look into things yourself. So we'll get into the episode. Again, just breathe. If something challenges your deeper beliefs or even your morals or whatever gets triggered, I invite you to just sit with that, to just take a deep breath, sit with how that feels in your body instead of getting reactory and even just like clicking off of the episode or giving me a thumbs down or whatever it is, just sit with it and listen on because your perception might change or you might be like, oh, actually... No, that that's it. That I understand what you're saying with that. That is all I ask. <laughs> so context comes from the Latin con and texere to form contextus, which means weave together. Modern research in science and humanities alike is about weaving together different strands of information, thought, and data to then place your results into the context of existing research and historical information, right? And to understand motives, action, causes, and results. Context can be defined as the circumstances that form the setting of an event, statement, or idea, and in terms of which it can be fully understood. Historical context is an important thing to consider when reading any sort of written work. If it's literature, articles, historical books, whatever it is, it's so important to understand or even just consider the context in which it was written because it can change or amplify the overall meaning of the subject and even reveal information or perspectives we otherwise would have missed. Historical contexts deals with the details that surround an occurrence. In more technical terms, historical context refers to the social, religious, economic and political conditions that existed during a time and place. Basically, it's all the details of the time and place in which a situation occurs and those details are what enables us to interpret and analyse works or events of the past or even the future rather than merely judge them by contemporary standards, which is all too apparent in this day and age. It's not excusing behaviour, but simply explaining the method behind motives. One thing we were taught at university and that historian Peter Harrison emphasises is that you cannot place modern maps on past territories. You cannot place modern language in the past or use particular modern terms such as feminism and propaganda when describing particular events in the past. They can have those undertones of it 100% and you have to make that known when you're writing about it. But to say, for example, that ancient Athens was misogynistic 
is problematic and simply wrong, for this term is a modern construct and does not apply to this period. A prime example that I'm going to kick this off with, uh, with context and something that's been so much removed from its context and has its a whole new meaning to it in itself is the new age community's understanding of star seeds. So if this is the first time you're hearing what star seeds are, it's this belief that uh, these people from outer space, like aliens, right? So from a particular constellations and stars that then in turn can be like planets Uh, you have the Pleiadians you have the Arcturians you have apparently the Atlanteans Lemurians so on and so forth that we have been incarnated from or only particular types of people I'll say have been incarnated from these star seeds into earth for a particular mission and that people in the higher up Uh, 1% are called lizard people and they're like draconians, even though that in itself is a completely different ideology in itself that has no real links to the starseed understandings of draconians. Um, And yeah, they're here to basically cause some things and control and uh, suck the life force out of us and create this darkness around they might be involved in what many people call satanic rituals even though they're not and then the role of those that are maybe from the Pleiadian star constellation or the Arcturians or whoever and whatever their goal is to save humanity but these theories come predominantly from the 1800s and even more so emphasized in the 1970s and a lot of these theories are based from very prominent occultists one occultist that uh, refers to these star seeds based in root race theories which i'm going to get touch a little bit on in a moment is helena blavatsky who is, I say, a phenomenal woman, highly problematic 100%, but also incredible because you look at the context of when she was writing and what she was writing about. She is a mathematician, a scientist, an occultist, a writer in the 1800s where women weren't really getting any sort of roles in that way or weren't educated as much as men were, yet she has written a huge volume of work based on all of the all of the things that she's into and basically started the theosophical society which has so much knowledge in it and is quite phenomenal but once again it's okay to acknowledge that yes this person has produced a mass amount of work and quite in-depth and mind-blowing work yet there are problematic aspects to it because she wrote in a time where those ideas were commonplace but now we have the understanding that "Mm, actually it's quite problematic to call someone that name but they didn't have that understanding back then so it's okay to separate the two (laughs) so the star people or star seeds they might often be called indigo children 
It's a variant of the belief of human-alien hybrids, especially in the New Age belief. And it was introduced predominantly into, I guess, mainstream knowledge during the 1970s by Brad Steiger in his book Gods of Aquarius. And it was during that time that the whole Age of Aquarian movement started to gain some traction. And then especially in the last two years that it's really amplified, but there's so much controversy around that in itself that I'm not going to get into in this episode. But it basically argues that And he argues that certain people originated as extraterrestrials and arrived on Earth through birth or as a walk-in to an existing human body. So he describes that they come into this human form either either by walk-in or by birth and get complete amnesia of their life before. And their awakening process can be described as either a gradual series of realizations over time or an abrupt and dramatic awakening of consciousness. Through this awakening process, they regain memories from their past origins and missions. And that in itself, I feel, can be a bit problematic because, again, I'm going to do a whole episode on this um, because it is kind of diverting away from the actual thing of context, but it is so rooted in people being lost and it's very much cultish behavior of hey there's this where you in this past life they've got all these quizzes for it like are you a star seed if you have this trait this trait this trait this trait you are from this uh the planet or the star seed of lemuria and your mission is this so it gives someone a purpose and it gives someone a means of identifying with something that they haven't had in the past or they might have been you know an odd sock and not really had any sort of identity or link or resonance with a particular construct that they grew up in and their conditioning or dogma that they were brought up in and the moment that they hear that it's similar with the witch wound as well that I discussed of like if you have this 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 then you're a witch and so then they attach to it and then they create that as their whole identity without really critically thinking about it. And it's because this idea has been taken so out of context and they haven't read Plato's work. They haven't read Blavatsky's work. They haven't read all of these other people's works. They're just going off of hearsay. And that's why I'm so passionate about research is if someone tells you something and as like you know it makes you want to attach to it because they're attaching themselves onto someone that's lost it's again very cultish behavior if i then go and look into it i can make my own mind up about of actually that doesn't really ring true that doesn't really make sense or that's a little bit problematic i don't really agree with that i think what i'm attaching to is something at a deeper level and even a past life remembering or a past life experience or an experience of the greater consciousness or whatever it is so do your research my gosh i can't emphasize that enough And the reason why I think that a lot of these uh, theories and understandings or even just the labels of the starseeds themselves is just you need to critically think about it, just saying it nicely, 
is the whole idea of Atlantis. The people, like I was even told by a healer that I was present during the time of the submersion of Atlantis. And I took it with a grain of salt because I was like, look, I can neither confirm nor deny that. I have no idea. I have no recollection of it. And so I'm going off of what someone's telling me. And then it came into my awareness that actually the whole idea of Atlantis started as a theory to reflect Plato's ideas. So he wrote this idea of the Atlantean theory or the story of Atlantis as a part of a Socratic dialogue. It was not a historical treatise. The story is preceded by an account of Helios, the sun god's son, uh, Phaeton, yoking horses to his father's chariot and then driving them through the sky and scorching the earth. Rather than exact reportings of past events, the Atlantis story describes an impossible set of circumstances which were designed by Plato to represent how a miniature utopia failed and became a lesson to us defining the proper behaviour of a state. It was there set up as a theory to describe an idyllic utopian society and look at what happened when they went against the gods. The gods punished them and sunk the city. And there's theories that he said that it was from an Egyptian retelling of a story and it was this place in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, whatever it was. But something that we do know for sure is that it was part of these dialogues that Socrates asked of three men to to write and one of them was this story, this story of Atlantis, this philosophical idea to reflect politics around and and how to act as a society and what the best way is to act. And it's very much like uh, Christianity and the doom and gloom paintings, like do this and you'll end up in heaven, do that, you'll end up in hell. And they depicted heaven as this beautiful utopian place, very angelic, you know, uh, what you picture today is with the clouds and the gate and then hell is the burning pits and fire right Uh, and so people were illiterate they didn't know what they couldn't read for themselves so they were going off of what the people were saying and they needed to control the society so they were like do this they pointed to um, the heaven you'll end up here do bad you'll end up in this burning pit of hell which would you prefer and they're like well obviously I don't want to end up there so I'm gonna be a good citizen right so People in the 1800s, when this starseed theory started making waves through Western society, and there's lots of theories that it's coming from the East, and Blavatsky brought it into the West, but it was very much rooted in root races, which is very much based in racist theories. So racist and anti-Semitic beliefs that the new age community have grabbed upon and discarded all the other stuff that was said about these starseeds taking it out of context created it their own and has produced a huge cult following around it and so many movements and courses around light language and you're from here let me retell you how you know this and that has happened in your life and what your mission is um just again, do do your own research into it. 
And Blavatsky's understanding and, I guess, movement behind these race theories is that humanity, or there's these lost races, and a lot of the time these races are regarded as superior to others. And there's seven root races assembling for our Earth. Each root race is divided into seven sub seven sub races. Only five root races have appeared so far. The sixth apparently is, is expected to emerge in the 28th century. So there's the first root race, which is Polarian, uh, then Hyperborean, and then Lemurian, even though Lemuria is said to be like a starseed as opposed to like an actual continent, and then Atlantean and, and Atlantis, which is... Um, yeah, it's all based around uh, civilization. And then you have the Aryan, which isn't attributed to the uh, Nazi idea of the Aryan race. Aryan is from uh, Indo-Iranian, uh, so northern, I think it is, northern India. And then you have the, just reading the six roots, root race according to C.W. Leadbeater. <laughs> a colony will be established in Baja, California by the Theosophical Society under the guidance of the Masters of the Ancient Wisdom in the 28th century for the intensive, selective, eugenic breeding of the sixth root race. That in itself, I think, says it all. So do your research, especially coming from this time, because there is a lot of problematic issues and a lot of new age stuff is bred from this time period. So getting back on track. So yeah, you can see how something that's been taken out of context and has been created its own has been bred from very racist ideologies. So really look into that, really look into the new age communities preachings because it is very cultish and is highly highly problematic and is just making absolute bank from all of these people that are just fraudsters really i'm just going to say it heretic um a lot of it is very much based in fraud not all i think a lot of the time especially with light language because i've experienced having light language spoken to me there is something there but to say it's from an atlantis is just kind of false because Atlantis like Atlantis doesn't exist right as we now know so whatever it is whatever vibration they're speaking such singing in makes makes me get absolutely covered in goosebumps and my hair raises on my arms and I feel centered but I think that comes from something completely different as opposed to aliens being channeled through someone and being spoken to you so moving on, um, another piece of aspects being spoken out of context and that we need to look into is in literature. So a strong understanding of the historical context behind a work's creation can really give you a better understanding of and appreciation for the narrative. In analyzing historical events, context can help us understand what motivates people to behave as they did. Put another way, context is what gives meaning to the details. So when reading Jane Eyre, for example, without knowing the time in which it was written, you may think, oh yeah, this is a nice book. But knowing that it was written by a woman in the 1800s, when, as I mentioned before, women didn't have much standing, 
to understand what Bronte was writing about and how progressive it actually was for the time, you can have a deeper, deeper appreciation for the text. Similarly, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I don't think can be fully appreciated by a reader who is unaware of the romantic movement that took place in art and literature in the early 19th century because it was a time of rapid, absolutely rapid social and political upheaval in and within and around Europe when lives were transformed by the technological disruption, disruptions of, of the industrial age. The romantics captured the public sense of isolation and fear that many experienced as a result of these social changes. Frankenstein becomes more than a good monster story. It becomes an allegory for how technology can destroy us. Another example is just when people quote things out of, con out of context. And I've got some examples here that are new to me. Like I just looked up, you know, quotes that have been taken out of their context. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. So I wanted to share those with you, listener. So we have to have the quote, uh, who, but who can watch the Watchmen? which is from the satire six by Roman poet Juvenal. Uh, and a lot of people love to use it when questioning authority or second guessing the government. And although it becomes a rally, rallying cry for those who mistrust the power and people, the lion's original, original intent was actually incredibly sexist and misogynistic. In the context of the poem, Juvenal was not arguing against government surveillance, but rather against marriage, because he believed all women to be liars and cheaters. The passage actually goes, I know the plan that my friends always advise me to adopt, bolt her in, constrain her, but who can watch the watchman? The translation of the poem roughly reads, they keep quiet about the girl's secrets and get her as their payment, everyone hushes it up. In other words, Juvenal was claiming that women are incapable of being chaste and loyal outside of marriage, and there is nothing a man can do about it, not even hire guards to lock her up. So that in itself gives it an entirely <laughs> different meaning, right? Next is money is the root of all evil. Although it's originally from the Bible, this often misquoted line from the Canterbury Tales is repeated and used incorrectly all the time. The actual quote is, love of money is the root of all evil, which expresses the idea that greed and desire for wealth is at the core of most people's problems. However, it's often simplified to mean something closer to the idea that having money can create more problems. And then we have when, why then the world's my oyster? Just that I use it all the time, the world's my oyster. <laughs> and I say, and, uh, and I'm the pearl or something like that. But this is actually from Shakespeare, as many phrases that we use today are. So the famous quote is from the Merry Wives of Windsor. And unfortunately, in context, this catchphrase will give less of the warm and fuzzies and more of the chills. So when Falstaff refuses to lend Pistol a penny, he replies with the line, why then the world's mine oyster, which I with sword will open. So rather than expressing positively about a world filled with wonder and opportunities, 
The quote really means that in order to attain fortune, force and violence is necessary. So those examples, I think, can give you, I hope, an understanding that when things are taken out of context, they get an entirely different meaning. And this can be quite beneficial, I guess, in sometimes with literature and these quotes. But a lot of the time that it's used, it can be highly highly detrimental to someone's even just reputation and idea of aspects of the past because I'm sure that we can all agree that the quickest way a person can defame your character is by taking something that you said out of context right but fear not everyone that was anyone has had that done to them it's all to twist what someone's saying to suit their own agendas right and my gosh I have experienced this people twisting my words twisting to then produce another meaning for what you're saying completely changing the narrative I've experienced this many times on social media and I've trying to become more and more conscious of what I'm actually saying as well as what I'm engaging in like verbally and you know well you know keyboard warrior like And most recently, this has happened to me in a Discord, I'm going to say discussion, (laughs) where I was asking the people very casually about what it was about Stephen Flowers or Edward Thorson that actually concerned people and, and what they were actually concerned about. Like, give me actual reasoning that's not based off of gossip. Like, did they say something? Did they do something? Like, what is it specifically instead of just branding it like he's a racist he is a neo-nazi he believes this he believes that it's like okay can you give me sources for that like what is it actually about it and majority of what people were saying I had responses for because I had done the research because I was I was conscious about it before entering that chat room and I entered that chat room because I wasn't like I wasn't satisfied with the information that was online so I was like okay well I'm gonna ask these people and then I'm gonna ask Stephen Flowers himself on Facebook which I ended up doing later on but yeah there was no malicious motive behind it whatsoever the only motive was to get to the actual core of the concern did he say something or promote something that was anti-semitic or neo-nazi like I was really digging for it but by me merely questioning many in that chat thread called me a Nazi sympathizer that by me merely questioning his societal positioning that witch talk has painted him as is problematic because nothing nothing of what they were saying was based on actual fact it was based on gossip that I was able to trace back to the 80s and nothing of what I was saying was disrespectful in the absolute slightest all I was presenting was contrary evidence or actually just evidence which the other side of the debate weren't supplying their main ridicule was because he hasn't outwardly said he doesn't support x y and z he's a nazi and also that term I think is just really thrown away a lot and it people need to consider that as well just throwing that one out there when if they actually looked into it more or asked him they would have saw that he actually condemns x y and z and this is something that I will discuss in a later podcast with a couple of people because cancel culture is something that really really irks me 
and I find it's really killing philosophical and intellectual discussions as well as just discussions in general. So we can see just from these couple of examples how taking things out of context, a skill that is not new, can feed into cancel culture and can distort people's reputation and aspects of the past as well as one's own experience. This is why I'm so passionate about shedding light on context. Like, yeah, from a modern understanding, Alistair Crowley is a pretty creepy and problematic dude. Despite how progressive he was for the 18 and 1900s, much of what is threaded throughout his texts and beliefs are very prominent beliefs from that time that we can't demonize him for. But what we can do when reading these works is understand the time he wrote it in and that if this person lived nowadays, look, they may or may not have have different beliefs, but they don't live now and it's a catch-22 where his words have been frozen in time, but they have been frozen in a particular time period that is problematic and had lots of controversy around it. So we should look at that time to understand it. When reading these pieces, you listener have the privilege to read what he says or anyone says, understand that it's problematic and you can read on. Remove those parts from the practices if you want. It's very easily done. You have the power to choose what you do in particular ritualistic practices. Yes, there's some things that you need to do or that is advised to do to the T, but other aspects, if you're not resonating with it, you can remove it. And also just make sure that particular things that you're reading from these people of the past aren't feeding into particular biases. If so, that's something in itself entirely. But just because just using the example of Crowley, just because he promotes particular practices that are very much removed from their original context doesn't mean you have to follow it. They didn't know that picking and choosing from closed practices was wrong because they were coming off of the tail end of the Victorian era's fascination and fetishization of Eastern, of the Eastern world. It was a different time and that's wonderful that we know now and have this gift that we have which is free will and a working mind that we can understand what is proper and problematic from our modern standpoint that may very well change in the future. Yes, much of Darwin's work is problematic and yes his thought of survival of the fittest has also been taken out of context. Yes, his use of the word savage when referring to indigenous peoples is problematic but that was a word that was used back then. We can look at it when it appears and understand that it was a work frozen in time and that our language around many topics have changed. This can be, I think, further exemplified in Mark Twain's Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which was written in the 1800s. It's a work that is considered an enduring work of American literature and biting social satire, but it is also criticised by many modern critics for its casual use of a racial epithet to describe Huck's friend Jim, a freedom-seeking and saved person. Such language is shocking and offensive to many readers today, but in the context of the day, it was the commonplace language for many. When back in this time, when attitudes towards newly liberated enslaved African Americans were often indifferent at best and hostile at worst, the casual use of such racial epithets wouldn't have been considered unusual. 
In fact, what is actually more surprising, given the historical context of when the novel was written, is Huck's treating Jim not as an inferior, but as his equal, something very rarely portrayed in the literature of the time. And in relation to women, I understand that for centuries, women have been regarded as the fairer sex. So when reading medical manuscripts and philosophical workings from times gone past, I'm not triggered when they say that women can and cannot do this because they are the fairer sex, that they are more susceptible to the devil's working because they are the fairer sex. And also what Juvenal, in the example I said earlier before, of basically being of property to men, I honestly just laugh at it because I can understand that it was from a particular time period that has those thoughts but now the thought and the language has changed and this can go for art as well I saw a while ago people saying that renaissance art was pushing a particular agenda because of the red and blonde hair and fair skin that's portrayed everywhere the only agenda that they were pushing was wealth and obedience the lighter the hair the cooler the temperament and thus more agreeable the fairer the skin the wealthier they were due to not being exposed to the sun through farm work This is, of course, referencing Western European people as opposed to Eastern and Middle Eastern because their art was depicting what was the norm for them. Because travel wasn't as we know it today, pictures of even white Jesus coming from Italy make sense. They heard word of this dude that did this thing and so they painted him as they saw the people around them. Many of those in Italy were white unless in many cases they were slaves or merchants. So they painted what they knew. And of course, it has been taken out of context again, 100% of pushing the a white supremacist agenda of using a white figure of Jesus, which just doesn't make logical sense for where the Bible was written and took place. <laughs> this is why research is so vital. Research whatever New Age people are pushing. Research whatever I say on here. Research the accuracy of depictions in shows. Research the time in which something was said that led to the formation of such an idea. Again, it's not excusing, it's understanding. You can sit with polarizing judgments of someone. An example of understanding motives, yet still understanding that what someone did was utterly horrendous, is Hitler. A typical example for many a things, but I'm sorry I'm bringing Hitler into this. The many theories circulating about why he honed in on Jewish people specifically We were told, you know, his mother's doctor was Jewish, the professor at the art school that rejected him was Jewish, the monetary power resides in Jewish families, etc, etc, as well as in the 19th century, religion played less of an important role. It was replaced by theories about the difference between races and people. The idea that Jews belonged to a different people than the Germans, for instance, really, really caught on. Even Jews who had converted to Christianity were still different because of their bloodline. What we do know is that two Austrian politicians really very much greatly influenced Hitler's thinking. The first of which was George Ritter von Schonerer, who was a German nationalist. He believed that the German-speaking regions of Austria-Hungary should be added to the German Empire. He also felt that Jews could never be fully-fledged German citizens. And then the second was the Viennese mayor Karl Luger, who Hitler learned uh, anti-Semitism and social reforms from and how that can be really 
a successful means of just being a dickhead really but it can stem as well from the Aryan race theory which I mentioned before but it's not that particular type of Aryan race of the Indo-Iranian it's of the pure blood which is very Slytherin and Malfoy like right <laughs> Hitler blamed Jews for everything that was wrong with the world Germany was weak and in decline due to the Jewish influence, in quotes. According to Hitler, the Jews were after world dominance and they would not hesitate to use all possible means, including capitalism. In this way, Hitler took advantage of the existing prejudice that linked the Jews to monetary power and financial gain for his own serving and to build that mass following that he had during that time. He, along with many others, also had similar ideologies, um, or those that had similar ideologies, sorry, to Hitler during this time, really turned to the workings of Joseph Arthur de Gouverneur for their inspiration. Gouverneur was, I'm probably pronouncing that so wrong, um, was a French diplomat, writer, ethnologist, and social thinker who conceptualized the idea of the master race and scientific race theory. In the essay, Gouverneur asserted the superiority of the white race over others and labeled this as the Aryans. So the Germanic peoples as representing the summit of civilization. He advanced the theory that the fate of civilizations is determined by racial composition that white and in particular Aryan societies flourished as long as they remained free of black and yellow strains and that the more a civilization's racial character is diluted through miscegenation, the more likely it is to lose its vitality and creativity and sink into corruption and immorality. Germany during this time was fighting to become the main power of the world to restructure the new world order. This is where the US is currently and China is rising to be. A place at the top where everything is basically in reference to, especially finances. Therefore, Hitler was very influenced by very problematic and many problematic and nationalist people, making him want to wipe out anyone who threatened what he believed to be the strongest nation and what created the strongest nation. Therefore, these motives derived from his upbringing and politics of the time and social political ideologies that he was subjected to. So you can understand his motives, not agree, 100% not agree with it, but you can understand it. It's the case of one's surroundings, conditionings and environment which can determine one's ideologies and philosophical standpoint. Again, you can understand someone while simultaneously not agreeing with them and their actions. It's the same with the witch trials as I touched on in the first episode. Knowing the history and the context for misplaced statements is imperative to understanding of terms, statements and information. That no, it wasn't a true fear of even the devil or magic, but an agenda pushed by the church to reinforce its power. So by saying that you have a witch wound due to discrimination against women and their power is baseless and needs further inquiry and research. So I hope that this has helped (laughs) to some degree in recognizing that without historical context, 
we are only seeing a piece of the scene and not fully understanding the influence of the time and place in which a situation has occurred. And this can help with understanding modern day motives and what is motivating people nowadays and seeing what is influencing people's agendas. This can be political, social, it can be uh, religious, whatever it is. Understanding the influences around you, using the example of COVID, one's perception of COVID can vary from someone who's watching the news 24-7 as opposed to someone who's head in books some and uh, research and trials and all the medical knowledge around it as opposed to someone who is living out bush and has no idea of what's really going on in the world all those three or someone even that's just mixing all of those together their perception of this one common theme can vary drastically and that can happen with a lot of other things so just remember the context in which something was said what formed that idea and having the capability to critically think about it and agree or disagree depending on the situation you can still read this for all my my fellow witches and occultists out there you can still read works by particular people for whatever knowledge that they can bring forth whilst understanding that a lot of other things that they're saying is problematic and depending on when they're writing, if it's more modern, then that's something entirely different <laughs> as opposed to someone in the past. Recognize that, yeah, look, okay, he was an, he was a person coming out of this uh, secret society during this time and this time had all of these socio-political factors surrounding it and these beliefs based on Eastern traditions. But do you know what? He actually really uplifted women in many situations, viewed them as equal, very progressive for the time, disseminated a lot of this secret knowledge to the wider public so I can appreciate that whilst understanding that I don't agree with XYZ of what they're saying. It's a skill that I think many people really need to develop, especially as time's moving on and in the world of social media and people twisting words taking snippets and taking it out of context to paint you in a different light to suit their own agenda is just becoming more and more apparent especially on TikTok it's just it's a real shame and it's really ruining people's standing and and making them not want to share any of their knowledge with people and experiences with people just because they said one thing that they didn't know was wrong and then got absolutely slammed for it and they're like okay cool I understand that it's wrong now can we move on I've learned from it and still painting that person as absolute scum of the earth so just be mindful on social media be mindful of what you're researching the motives behind what you're researching like what the information is that you've got and you, that you've collected what they've said their agenda, where they grew up, what their religious beliefs are, what their political beliefs are. You can understand then what they're writing about and how they're writing it and look at the surrounding texts around a particular quote or phrase or even video snippet because in this world of editing and chopping and pasting, a lot of things that people have said have been taken out of context and has become an entity 
a completely different entity in itself. So thank you for listening. (laughs) This is very much of like a ranty podcast and I'm going to have more of them because I love ranting, but I am going to have guests on to rant with. (laughs) So let me know if you like more of a discussion based podcast, a ranty type podcast, more informative in regards to focusing in on one specific thing or person or event and yeah all of the sources that I used for this episode plus more are going to be uploaded onto my Patreon this week so if you haven't already go check that out that way it's really helping me and nourishing this podcast and the information and the time it takes to collect information and to construct a script and a podcast and ideologies around it to then present to you so Thank you again so much for your presence and I really look forward to being present with you in the next episode of Tea and Heresy. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Tea and Heresy, then link below in the show notes are all the links to my social media platforms as well as my Patreon, where for as little as $5 a month, you can gain access to early releases, poll discussions, information, source material, tarot pools, rituals and information on particular spell workings, herbs, divination, astrology and all of that good stuff. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of Tea and Heresy. Blessed be.